0: I'm Dave Iker. Thanks for joining me today uh, for Astronomy Magazine's podcast. I'm here with a very distinguished guest, Claude Nicollier, who is Switzerland's astronaut, the first astronaut from Switzerland, a famous astronaut and shuttle mission participant and spacewalker uh, from the European Space Agency and a professor uh, in La Cyan as well. So Uh, Claude, thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Let me start out by asking you, Claude, you've been involved and I've seen you at Starmus in our group there, and it's a pleasure for me to be involved with Starmus, with Garrick and everyone else there. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement and the talks that you've given at Starmus?
1: Okay, well, uh, this year we will have Starmus 5 in uh, Zurich, Switzerland from the 24th of uh, June to the 29th. And uh, of course, uh, Starmus 5, which means there were four of them before, three of them were in Tenerife, Canary Islands, and uh, the one a couple of years ago was in Trondheim, Norway. And it's basically a gathering of uh, of uh, great minds, uh, a number of uh, Nobel Prize winners, a number of uh, Apollo astronauts or Apollo flight directors, I mean, people who played uh, an important role in the Apollo program. And uh, Stamos is for Star and MUS for music. And in the evening, we have great rock music. So it's really a very exciting time. Um, again, was in Tenerife three times, once in, uh, in Norway and this year in Switzerland. It's really a great event.
0: Very exciting, very exciting. And you've spoken at Starmus before and talked about your own experiences as an astronaut explorer, have you not?
1: Yes, yes, I have. In fact, it was on the first uh, Starmus. I think it was 2011 in Tenerife. Uh, I talked about um, intervention on Hubble. I mean, the human intervention on Hubble to do repair work and uh, improvement of the, uh, on orbit astronomical observatory. I was privileged to be part of the first servicing mission in December 93, and I was on uh, servicing mission 3A, which was the third in December 99, six years later.
0: Very historic moments, and of course crucial for the entire legacy of what uh, resulted, what followed with the Hubble Space Telescope, of course, which has written so much of what we know now about the universe over the last generation.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, for me, again, it was a huge privilege. Uh, I was Originally an astronomer, I was an Air Force pilot in Switzerland, also part-time, pretty much like your reserve. And, uh, of course, if, you, if you're if you an astronomer and uh, you become an astronaut and you are asked to go and fix Hubble, this was really, really wonderful. I was so excited to be especially part of the first servicing mission, which was, of course, very critical for the future of the observatory, as you, as you remember.
0: And for those who don't know, Hubble was uh, launched with a... Uh, a uh, and a poorly made mirror because of mathematical errors and figuring mirror uh, errors so it was really essentially uh, not usable in the way it was supposed to be at all and so the first servicing mission uh, that you were involved with was critical in in restoring hubble to functionality at all and, yeah. and really everything yeah, for that...
1: the fir- for, for for the first 3 years it was somewhat usable that uh, the pictures were were fuzzy, but of course it could see in the ultraviolet, which was still a plus, but obviously it was not uh, usable the way it was expected uh, because uh, uh, because of the fuzzy pictures and uh, installing an optical corrector for the so-called axle instruments, uh, the so-called COSTA, corrective optics space telescope Axle replacement, and exchanging the wide field and planetary camera, which is a radial instrument, uh, we could restore the the telescope to a to a fully functional status, which was very rewarding.
0: Crucial and a milestone in in the history of astronomy and and in space flight. Let's step back. You mentioned that this year at Starmus here in a couple of months is going to be uh, very big because of the Apollo 50th anniversaries yes. of Apollo mm-hmm. 11 and and of the other missions as well. Um, but it's that's, that's really ancient history for a lot of younger people who were out there, Claude, you're very inspiring to them. Let's step back and talk about how did you get interested in exploring space and and becoming an astronaut in the first place?
1: Well, this was really a combination of my interest in uh, in aviation, but uh, mainly my interest in in science, in in astrophysics. Uh, as a kid, I always wanted to to be an astronomer, to tell you the truth, since a very early age and um aviation was another passion for me and i was fortunate that in switzerland we have a system where so called militia army which means that every male is supposed to be part time part of the defense system and uh, with my interest in aviation when i was aged 18 i chose uh, to try to become a pilot of course you don't immediately become a pilot but you are a candidate pilot and you need to prove that you can do it. By the way it's the same for astronauts when you are selected as an astronaut I was with ESA but it's the same for NASA astronauts we are astronaut candidates and then we become astronauts after about a year or year and a half of of training. So I was an astronomer and um, and an Air Force pilot when the Uh, Apollo program took place, and in particular Apollo 11, I was 25 years of age. So I was just finishing my studies, and I was an Air Force pilot. But of course, there was no room for Europeans or for uh, people of any other nation than the Soviet Union uh, and the United States to go into space. It came later, about uh, 1975. uh, The U.S. invited the Europeans to participate in the shuttle program, uh, in the um, in the manufacture and delivery of the space lab space laboratory which was basically a laboratory to be put in the payload bay of the shuttle to use the shuttle as a scientific uh, platform for of course relatively short missions 15 days and at the same time it was it became possible for Europeans to apply uh, for astronaut positions within ESA according to the Uh, selection criteria that were forwarded by NASA. And uh, I was selected in 1978 together with a German, Ulf Merbold, and a Dutchman, Vubo Ockels. And uh, these were the first three ESA astronauts. And we were then delivered to the U.S. uh, NASA Johnson Space Center in 1980. And then it started for me, and I stayed for 25 years over there
0: fantastic and every young person who dreams of becoming an astronaut and exploring space wants to know uh, in detail about the following question and that is you were on four shuttle missions and your final mission you you had an eva a, a spacewalk what Correct. was it like to launch in a shuttle what was it like to orbit earth and look down on the planet without seeing geographical political boundaries, but seeing earth <laughs> as a planet. And what was it yeah, like uh, it, walking in space? Tell us a little bit about your astronaut experiences. if
1: you. Yeah. Would. Well, if, of course, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very unique uh, perspective that you have on, uh, on planet earth from uh, up there. But of course going there first is, is quite a dynamic relatively short uh, time. It was eight and a half minutes from, uh, solid rocket booster ignition which was a time t0 for the mission it was only eight and a half minutes uh, after main engine uh, shut off uh, two minutes after liftoff we had separation of the two solid rocket boosters fell down in the atlantic ocean were recovered by boats and uh, it was six and a half extra minutes until main engine cut off then we were in space uh kilometers an hour about uh, five miles per second. And uh, typically, well, the main engine cutoff was still relatively low, about uh, 400,000 feet. But we were on an elliptical orbit, the apogee of which on the other side of the Earth uh, was high enough that we could circularize and stay outside of the Earth's atmosphere. So a very dynamic uh, ascent to space. And then uh, it's really amazing when you have the main engine cutoff, you suddenly go from a 3G acceleration, which you have for the last minute and a half of the ascent uh, to zero G within about a second and a half and then mm. bang, you are in weightlessness <laughs> <laughs> and you will remain for the remaining 15 days or so. And um, of course, the on-orbit phase is um, you have weightlessness. Uh, you have uh, really an amazing view of planet Earth. Of course, you are busy. Uh, shuttle missions in particular were really busy because mm-hmm. we had only a few days to accomplish uh, a task uh, which um, which was quite often uh, difficult to reach and uh, we had to be really uh, disciplined, systematic and, uh, and pretty hard working in order to accomplish that task. Uh, shuttle missions were really busy. I know that astronauts on ISS are quite busy also, but to a certain degree, because they stay a long time, uh, probably less busy than on a typical shuttle mission. So the the views of the Earth and the views of the sky, as an astronomer, I didn't only look at uh, planet Earth below us, but also at uh, rapidly moving stars above us, because, of course, with the uh, uh, high speed that we have going around the Earth, going around the Earth in about an hour and a half, when you look at uh, the rise of Orion in the east, you see it rising very fast. And uh, for an astronomer, Uh, who likes to look at stars, either with the naked eye binoculars or telescopes or big telescopes for for his job or her job. Uh, Looking at the sky from space was really amazing. On one hand, the background of the sky is completely black, dark black. Mm -hmm. Unlike the sky seen from uh, anywhere on Earth, including from high mountains, uh, you always have a little bit of a background glow uh, so the the fact that it's so dark, the background is so dark when you look at the sky from space, is such that all of the diffuse and low-light level phenomena, like the Milky Way, or the zodiacal light for that matter, uh, stand out in a in a remarkable manner. I was mm. really amazed.
0: Incredible. And what was it like, uh, your spacewalk?
1: Spacewalk? Well, uh, of course, we always do this uh, two person at a time. I was with a uh, microphone. <clears throat> Uh, US uh, astronauts and uh, I was the first one to come out and I opened the the outer hatch of the airlock and uh, you come out and uh, the first view that you have of the payload bay, the Hubble Space Telescope in the back of the payload bay and uh, the sky and the earth is really, really, really extraordinary because when you look at uh, anything... Outside of the shuttle, from uh, inside the cabin, you look through pretty thick windows, but suddenly you have only the very thin visor in front of you, optically of excellent quality. So the view is really amazing, stunning. Uh, but again, you go out uh, to do work, not to enjoy the view of the stars and <laughs> of the Earth. So you you need to manage your safety tethers and the safety tether of your of your colleague, and do this very carefully. You don't want to make any mistakes there. And then. Uh, I remember on that spacewalk, which was the only one for me, the first one and only one, uh, I had five minutes of uh, adaptation uh, so that I could see the difference between training in the water in the neutral buoyancy lab at the Johnson Space Center and the real space environments. And then after these five minutes, I had to start working. And uh, we stayed for a little more than eight hours outside with Mike Fole Mm. to to replace the main computer of Hubble, to replace a uh, fine guidance sensor, that was the goal of the second uh, spacewalk, and uh, it was uh, quite a lot of work. But again, the the, the main satisfaction of a spacewalk is uh, is really to accomplish the job that people expect from us,
0: mm-hmm. and uh, and we did. <laughs> Claude, you've been involved in astronomy and and. Uh, to a great extent. And of course, we're in a golden age of astronomy with the volume of research and with the details of so many specialized areas. Can you talk a little bit about your interest and involvement in astronomy and your professorship in Lausanne?
1: Okay. Well, when I was an astronomer in the late 60s and 70s, I was doing uh, photometry of stars, which was a very classical discipline uh, at that time. The idea being uh, to determine the Uh, physical and to a certain degree chemical characteristics of stars, either stars with high metallicity or low metallicity, and uh, looking at stellar evolution for different kinds of stars. And my interest was especially in the supergiants and the slowly varying uh, supergiant, not the Cepheid themselves, but the micro variations of of supergiant stars. Now, of course, uh, my interest in astronomy has, uh, has, uh, has widened quite a lot. I'm still fascinated by um stellar evolution but this has become quite a quite a classical field now and we've expanded to a lot of different areas and uh, especially in uh, cosmology and uh, when i look at the uh, deep fields that uh, were recorded by hubble uh, especially the very first one, which touched me very much, because it was only a few months after our first servicing mission in '93. I'm fascinated by the content of the, of the universe in, in, in galaxies, and uh, uh, these pictures show also the with the gravitational lens galaxies very far away, with the images distorted by the, the, the lensing effect. So uh, my interest in, in astronomy has become quite wide, and also I've been fascinated by missions which were um, in the solar system with the different uh, uh, probes and the robot that have explored the solar system. Cassini was an absolutely superb mission, and the Rosetta. Uh, The study of the nucleus of comet uh, Shurimov-Gerasimenko with the Rosetta spacecraft fascinated me also. So my interest in astronomy is quite wide now. It has gone way beyond what I was studying in the late 60s and 70s. What I'm teaching now at uh, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne, there's another one in Zurich, we have two of them in small country Switzerland, is more in the area of uh, space research. I have a course at the master's level on space mission design and operations. And uh, I explain to students uh, how you design a mission, how you execute it. And uh, it's basically what I learned for 25 years of being at the NASA Johnson Space Center Houston, being involved in the shuttle program, including four shuttle missions that I was a crew member of, I now forward this knowledge to the students in uh, Lausanne, Switzerland.
0: That's fantastic, and that leads into my next question. What would you tell young people now who aspire to be an astronaut explorer? Because there's an enormous number and and group, and it's sort of being enlarged, I think, by the Apollo anniversaries, but there's a huge group of youngsters who uh, continue to be really inspired by the future exploration of space?
1: Well, yeah, it's a huge source of inspiration, but uh, first of all, I tell them that they first need to to learn a job uh, that they like. They need either to become engineers, I don't know, electrical engineering, or IT engineering, mechanical engineering, or a scientist as a physicist, or a physicist of the solid matter, or any other uh, physics field, if possible, a physics field which is not purely theoretical and then become excited and good at that. And uh, at the same time, practice uh, sports and, uh, if possible, do things that involve risk, whether it's uh, scuba diving or parachute uh, jumping or aerobatics uh, with airplane or training on IFR, on twin-engine airplane. Uh, things where, at the practical sense, you get exposed to uh, discipline on one hand, but risk also a few on one hand, of an academic uh, activity and then research activity, or as an engineer with industry or research lab, and uh, uh, in parallel practice activities that are exciting but involve risk, I think you have a good uh, um, initial condition in order to be uh, accepted uh, in the selection of astronauts, and if possible, to make it. Yeah. But, of course, uh, the passion is uh, is a main ingredient. Uh, Passion for space, passion for research, curiosity about the natural phenomena. These are very important ingredients for an astronaut.
0: Fantastic. And Working
1: with your hands is an important thing also. If the TV set breaks down, try to fix it yourself before calling the the serviceman to do it for you. (laughs)
0: Uh, Self-sufficiency. Because in a a
1: spaceship, you are very often exposed to situations where you have to do things by yourself.
0: Yes indeed, yes. Self-sufficiency in orbit is a very good thing. Excellent. Well, thank you, Claude. And what would you a uh, last question if I may? What would you tell people who are going to come for the first time to Starmus um and what that experience is like? Well, <clears throat>
1: It's uh, it's an enormous amount to swallow because it starts in the morning, it goes in the afternoon, and then you have uh, great music in the evening. And uh, they have to just enjoy it and uh, open their ears and uh, eyes and uh, try to get opportunities to talk to these absolutely superb, and great people. I mean, the, the best minds in the world are there for gen- just one week uh, and uh, be ready to uh, swallow a lot of knowledge and uh, be excited by the uh, knowledge that will be presented at Starmus, and it's not only in the field of astrophysics um, and uh, space research, but it goes beyond that. There uh, are also presentation in uh, neurosciences and uh, uh, biology and uh, human evolution. So it's very exciting, it's very broad, and it's 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 really an amazing event. I loved it, and I want to go as long as it will happen. I will always try to be there. And uh, try also to be part of some roundtable discussions about uh, human exploration and uh, astronomy and uh, space flight.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you, Claude. And you can find out all about Starmus this year in the schedule at starmus.com. That's S T A R M U S dot com. And uh, Claude, I thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a great honor and pleasure to talk to you, and I really look forward to seeing you at Starmus. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you too. Thank and you, Zurich Club.
1: is a nice city too. You'll enjoy it.
0: Oh, I love it. Love it. Yes. Thank you very much, Club.